no one will speak out about Coles and Woolies. No one will go on the record, right, Matt? No one will go on the record. Welcome to episode 414 of Brews News Week, recorded today, Thursday the 13th of April 2023. I'm Sabrina Kunz and I'm joined today by regular co-host Ian Watson and less regular co-host and founder Matt Kierkegaard. Hi guys. Hello. Hey Sabrina, how are you? Good, happy Thursday. God, it rolls around quickly when there's a couple of days out of the middle, isn't it? I was just thinking, how was Easter like four days ago? It just feels like this year. I was I was talking to somebody today. Oh, when are you getting out and about? Okay, well, the AIBAs are in like four weeks' time. You know, it, the, the season kind of feels like it's kicking off. You know, you guys have got CBC, AIBAs, WA Beer Week, uh, BrewCon. Like it just, they all sort of roll into each other now. Yeah, the year is disappearing and this week has completely disappeared. I was struggling with myself this morning with what day it was. Absolutely. Well, we're going to sink our teeth. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have started that way. Calls for real teeth in regulating large retailers. Actually, a bit of meaty news here for the industry. Coles Group announced that it will acquire two milk processing facilities, has sparked calls for stronger regulation of the major retailers as they move deeper into the supply chain to compete with their suppliers, including brewers. The milk industry moves have ominous undertones for the brewing industry as the major retailers increasingly focus on their own private label brands. The move has prompted calls for tighter regulation of the retailers with federal national leader David Littleproud calling for regulatory guide rails in the form of a compulsory code of conduct to protect suppliers. The calls come as Coles recently added more than 200 products under its exclusive liquor brands and Endeavour's Pinnacle Group added more than 479 new products in financial year ending 2022. The extent of the retailer's market power is highlighted by the fact that by willing to speak out about the tap contracting practices of the two major brewers, small brewers are unwilling to publicly raise any concerns about the practices of the retailers for fear of reprisals. Little Proud said that he'd been working constructively with the new Assistant Minister for Competition, Dr Andrew Lee, uh, and he said that they're working in a bipartisan way to ensure regulatory guide rails were fit for purpose for the marketplace involved where the three big players control 74% of the marketplace. Uh, they went on to further quote the new Assistant Minister saying that Treasury is in the process of finalising a review of the dispute resolution provisions of the Grocery Code of Conduct and that that review, the second phase of that review will commence in October this year. So there's a lot of meat in this article. If folks haven't read it, um, a lot of interesting quotes. Matt spent quite a bit of time um, digging into this because of this milk piece. Um, but I think the staggering numbers of 200 and 479 products uh, and 74% of the marketplace really highlight the issue that we've been speaking around and about. Matt. Yeah, look, I, I, I think the photo that accompanies the article says a lot. Yep. You know, you look at that and when you do a, a rough count, I think there were, the, the photo is of some shelves in a Dan Murphy's. And I think there were, you know, four doors, five shelves. Each block had um, 20 SKUs in it. And on each of those fridges, four of the SKUs were Pinnacle Brands, um, own brands. And that's not um, – that. 
didn't even include, you know, uh, proprietary brands that were brewed exclusively for Dan Murphy's or things like that, that are partnerships with breweries. And when you look at how many brands they're making themselves, that shelf space that other producers um, don't have access to, which is one thing. But when you look at the pricing that all of these things were at, they were cheaper um, than anywhere else. And, you know, there, there was just so much about this that is just, they are really, really ripping the guts out of not just the brewing industry, but any manufacturing industry. What I thought was interesting about that photo, Matt, or one of the things that first jumped out at me, and, and it's interesting and we can maybe tie it back to the Ask for Indie campaign, but it's not like they're grouping them together. You know, in some in some bottle shops, there's the, you know, we group by style, some group by brand, so you can get the whole. Here, you've got sort of pinnacle under different na- brand names scattered all throughout the fridge. And so... Um, I was reading a report last week from Kodo, who are the brand um, marketers out of the US, and they were talking about one of the approaches is branding each individual beer within a brand house. Uh, But then the um, Matt had the conversation with Nick Boots under beer as a conversation, and you guys were talking about how you approach a fridge and you just don't know what's what anymore. You can't tell what the beer is, can't tell who makes it. And actually all of that brand stuff is playing into the hands of someone like Pinnacle uh, or, or Endeavour, who can put out their own beautifully branded, consistent with where the industry's at in terms of design expertise, and you cannot tell who it's owned by, right? You, you can't tell that you're supporting Woolworths' own. It's not like when you buy the flower, it says Coles branded or Woolworths branded across the top and you go, I'm buying home brand flower. That is not as obvious when you approach those fridges, the way that they've laid it out and the way that they use branding to sort of... Um, I don't know. I don't want to say slide into DMs. The design vernacular of the old black and gold was you are buying budget or like you are saving money here. Um, that was why those things did. And, you know, like if you go back to when you'd go shopping with your mum, you know, um, you'd reach for the H- uh, SPC baked beans and she would go, you know, wink at you and sort of say, we'll get this one, it's 50 cents less, and it comes out of the same factory. Um, and on, on one hand, that's where it depends on how you approach the industry. And if you think that competition and diversity and all of the things that a broad brewing industry provides is good beyond just a single cheap price, at the checkout, um, and, and that has benefits for the country beyond just a consumer getting fifty cents off a can of baked beans or a dollar off a four pack of beer. Then this is terrible for the economy um, because they they control the market. More than seventy four percent of retail goes through them, but then they also, uh, you know, control the supply. And it's been really interesting, the responses that I've gotten, the really, oh God, do not even discuss this conversation, sort of emails I've gotten since then, and including from people in the milk industry who somehow have, have come across this. And Coles Dollar Milk, which is 
a marketing ploy for consumers to say we offer the lowest prices on the day-to-day staples basically gutted an industry um, to the point that, you know, even now the four or five big milk processors cannot sell their brewer, their their milk processing facilities for anything near what they're worth except to Coles and Woolies because the only market that they've got for anything other than some of the milk solids and stuff is Coles and Woolies. And, you know, as I said in the article, you've got small brewers who will complain about the market power that Coles and Woolworths, that, that Lion and CUB face and how tap contracts are evil and sinister and those sorts of things, but they'll speak out about it. No one will speak out about Coles and Woolies. No one will go on the record, right, Matt? No one will go on the record. They'll, everybody is speaking out and sort of saying, why isn't somebody doing something about this? But no one will go on the record because the market power that these guys have to actually destroy businesses that all I have to do is to say, well, we've we've done a de range, yeah, we, we, we've we've looked at our range. We don't need you anymore, and there are businesses that are going to be screwed. And to tie into your conversation, so again, um, you spoke with Nick Boots last week, and he was saying, you know, the retailers don't necessarily want to de range, but if they, um, and we're talking individuals within these businesses, so again. I really want to separate the conversation between the business as a whole and individuals within it because um, I think that's really important. Um, but if a product is deranged, it's the same as, um, you know, you've built a business on TikTok. That is a platform that you don't own. It's a distribution mechanism that you don't own. You don't own the rights to those shelves and it can be removed at any time. And Nick, and the point Nick Boots was making is many businesses scale to take the opportunity to get into these big retailers, maybe, you know, when they're not quite ready or when they're not at scale because if they don't, somebody else will. And when they're deranged and their entire business is built around providing those volumes and they can't retain them. And I don't want to, you know, go back to Tribe, um, but we look at a large brewery whose job it is to provide beer for for brands under license and so you know I just think the whole thing is fraught um, I have to say that I find myself um, a little confused that I'm agreeing with uh, Minister Little Proud on anything um, but I think if there is the opportunity to comment on a grocery code of conduct in October this year that is something that the that the brewing industry and small breweries should be taking every opportunity to participate in that consultation process. Absolutely. And, and, and this has nothing to do with the nationals. You know, no. it's, it's the point that he's making. And of course, the nationals will champion farmers and the farmers are most, are the one of the sectors that are most impacted in Australia, which is a farming nation, by the concentration of retailers. We, we are no longer a manufacturing um, country. And one of the reasons is the big retailers, um, because of the price compression and the way that they have entered the, further and further down the supply chain themselves, for the sake of a dollar for a pack of chips, which none of us want to spend more, but it means that whole sections of our manufacturing economy are disappearing. And I think the piece, um, and Ian, I'll come to you in a second for your thoughts, because there's a couple of other run-on articles to this that we want that we want to get to. But um, 
I think the point in this article is well made, Matt, which is instead of waiting for this to continue to happen to the brewing industry, there are other industries which have already been decimated and we actually need to act now, right? We We need to get involved now before it is completely too late. Everything you've said is completely correct um, from from my perspective, and I've heard this from my brother, who works in the pharmaceuticals industry, and it's exactly what's happened there uh, over over the years. So, particularly, he worked in around the uh, I forget exactly how they term it, but let's just call it alternative medicines, um, and how they are arranged in the national retailers, exactly the same thing happens to to those guys. This happens to 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 breweries. So it's a lesson I've been hearing from him for for for, for a long time now. So a few things are pulled back into what Matt was saying with um, the black and gold brand uh, uh, baked beans as opposed to SPC or, or or Heinz. And I think we've talked about it before about how I'd I'd probably um, uh, be more likely to buy a black and gold brand IPA than a faux craft um, brand IPA from them. But it says something about our spending habits on beer as opposed to foods. So foods where we see it as something we have to have, which is true, we do have to have those, um, if we can shave a dollar from it, we're willing to. When it comes to beer, I'd say then, you know, they're, they're smart, these guys. they got the great marketing people behind it, great brand people behind it. They know all the, all the data there. But obviously they feel that people would not buy or would not want to pay for um, a black and gold brand or a home brand IPA, what they would for one that was, you know, um, you know, w- whatever the brand is that they want to come up with. So that's a way that they can get better dollars for it obviously that's how we all we all spend because beer as much as we love it as much as i really love it we don't need it but it's also one of those things that we do have a high emotional um investment in in our brand choice yeah yeah the the other thing that i would say and is something that i think maybe you're starting to link to something i thought about the other week with tribe um so there was a perfect opportunity there for someone like Coles or Woolies to purchase potentially um, a site like that, which would vertically integrate beautifully and give them um, potentially a lot of wins in, in having their own product into the market. However, that we know of, they didn't. Maybe they didn't even look. Maybe they ran the ruler over and thought it's not right. And that's the... Another concerning aspect of it as well, whereas they can see that even with their dollar milk, um, it's worthwhile them having their own plan for it. Maybe they've run the ruler over it enough and go, well, you know what? You guys are selling it to us at a price that we don't think you can do it for. Let's let you go broke instead of us. And that makes me think about what's our whole pricing in the in the industry and are we are we sustainable, are we viable? And it really it really does hit on all of those pieces because, you know, I don't want to go down on what is craft, but you know, sort of the for me, the truth in labeling piece, so the fact that consumers who are not really plugged in can genuinely not know who they're buying for or what they're buying for. And you can make all of the complaints about it's foreign owned, I want to buy Australian owned, and you don't even realise that you're purchasing these brands. So sort of the, the the lack of transparency around it I find really 
challenging. I find that piece that you've made, that point that you made, Ian, which is as long as it looks beautiful and it's consistent with all of our other craft branding uh, in terms of execution, people go, yeah, I will pay a little bit more for it. And the fact that, you know, Matt made the point that on the shelf they're cheaper so they can undercut their competitors. But to your point, the competitors aren't selling at that price, not because they don't want to, but because it is it is not possible <laughs> to make the quality of product with the supply chain costs that we have and, quite frankly, run an ethical business, pay people decently, have good human resource practices, do, you know, source locally, do all of the good things. And, like, the margins right now for brewers at various sizes are, are very limited, right? People aren't making millions off those margins. On, on one hand, you know, when, when you look at you know, businesses like Audi that have, um, and, you know, you've got Trader Joe's or whatever in America and things, and you've got where they basically have set up entire businesses based around knocking off brands and then selling them cheaply, but, you know, good quality products. So it's not the budget quality, it's just budget branding. Um, On one hand, the consumer who walks in can get a good quality product at a cheap price because you're not paying for the marketing, you're not paying for things, but you're also not paying for the research and development. Yes. You're not paying for those sorts of things. And that is a cost of doing business. And part of marketing and part of research and development is the thing that we love about craft beer and the, the craft brewing industry where, you know, Australian beer had become, because of lack of competition, two big brewers you know, multiple skews of functionally the same beer and innovation was a can that went a different colour when you put it into the fridge. Craft brewing has been a proving ground for, you know, a percentage of the market that wants something different. It's created excitement. It's brought new consumers back to the brewing industry. But that was only because businesses were willing to take a risk on something new. In, you know, the, the, the most sinister thing about this is Woolworths having built its, you know, built up um, its craft beer range. On one hand, it did de- um, democratize and make craft beer uh, available to a much more widely. And, and that is where, you know, major retailers are, you know, a real, really strong benefit because their network does let things get out there where you don't need to wait for a bottle shop to open in, in your town. But there is a point that because they need to constantly grow their profitability, once they stop, you know, once the natural growth from a new product category is gone, they need to look at how they can make profits and how they can sort of get their profitability up. And they're not investing in research and development. They've got the data that they're not sharing with the industry based on all being one of the biggest suppliers of alcohol in the country. They know what the trends are. And they're cherry picking the trends that they know that they can make money from. Um, so their profit actually comes from the thing that not in six months, not in 12 months, but in five or 10 years will actually kill the product. And they're also not investing in stainless steel, which is something that other brewers have to um, rely on. So if you are a brewer and has spent $2 million on setting up your brewery, you have a commitment to the thing that you're making. Those guys can turn off the faucet tomorrow because they can order, you know, a thousand cartons of a beer 
and then just go, no, didn't sell. We've got no stainless and move on to something else. So I've thought a lot about that innovation question, Matt, because today I had a conversation with somebody else about the role of ChatGPT in in the brewing industry and it included, you know, it being used to... um, develop recipes for beers and you know the argument I was making is it's machine learning therefore we're all learning from recipes that already exist and so if breweries are now using that for recipe development because quite frankly they don't have time and energy and they're trying to do things lean so that they can compete with pricing structures have less stuff so on and so forth I was like well where is the innovation true genuine innovation for the beer industry going to come from because well, because you know, we've heard a lot G- about it. GPT mines the stuff that has already been done yeah. and then synthesizes it, yep. which is exactly what Coles and Woolies are doing. Exactly. So that's why I, takes, sub- yeah. I brought these two together because I'm like, well, actually what we're all doing now is as everybody's trying to exist and, and keep up with um, essentially, you know, 74% market share and distribution, the innovation is coming out of small craft so so they're having less time and energy to spend on that where is it going to come from because it's not going to come from the retailers they aren't going to invest in it the large brewers have for many years invested in that space but we're seeing them um I don't want to say divest, but certainly have to rationalise their business because, as Ian has made the point, you know, these economic um, things are magnified in businesses of that size. So then we're back to, well, small craft is where the innovation has to come from. But what would be the benefit? You would have to come up with a world-leading thing now to be truly innovative in beer. And what would the payoff be if somebody can just go copy it and put it into their own bottle shop? This is where as clear cut as we want to make this issue, it's not a clear cut issue That's because right. people do people with mortgages to pay and children's school fees to yep. pay do care about dollars and cents yep. um, on one hand. And then the flip side is there are a lot of breweries that have opened in the last five years that have launched with a Pacific Ale that they didn't invent. They yeah. put they may have put their own unique twist on it and it was somebody else's idea and, you know, that's where there is a continuum. There is no perfection to any of the arguments. But ultimately, the one thing that not having... Uh, a, there is nobody pushing back against the big retailers. They are pushing further and further into the supply chain. And long-term, that is a bad thing. Yeah. Um, you know, because you won't get competition growing because there can't be competition growing. And actually some of the side stories that we want to throw out I was just gonna at, say. that this will probably come to because some of the alternatives that are available in other countries that aren't even as concentrated as Australia aren't even open to Australian brewers for a variety of reasons. Well, why don't we jump to that, Matt? Um, you forwarded to me a really great article from Good Beer Hunting Sightlines and interestingly, um, The headline for Sightline says, just the news that interests us, big plays, smart moves and otherwise curious indicators of beer's possible future. And I really think, um, you know, the reason we're having this conversation is because we are having a conversation about all of the complex inputs into what could the beer industry's possible future be. And the headline for this article was idling elsewhere, beer sales accelerate in gas stations and convenience stores. And um, this article was written by Kate Verneau. Um, It's wonderfully written. Um, We'll put it in the Radio Brews News group. 
Um, so just a great shout out to Kate because it's a fabulous article. She's now the head of the Beer Writers Guild of America. So, um, But the point of the story was really that while beer sales in most chain retail locations across uh, the US have been stuck in neutral convenience stores and gas stations offer brewery re- breweries reason for optimism. In the first three months of 2023, convenience stores outperformed other types of outlets like supermarkets and liquor stores when it comes to how much beer is sold, a continuation of trends from last year. And convenience stores in their context probably mean something like a, um, do we still have night owls? I don't know what the brands are in Australia, but like. Um, yeah, exactly that sort, sort of, of thing, yeah. Quickie, I want to say Quickie Mart, that's a Simpsons reference, but like a, you know, small supermarket style um, outlet and gas stations and we don't sell in either of those. I remember in New Zealand walking into one of those really small convenience stores and being able to buy a bottle of wine and thinking, you know, my life was made. But certainly um, that is not an option in Australia and definitely not gas stations. Like it's just incredible to read into this article, uh, you know, what the uptake has been and it's really um, the article goes on to say that it's large size can formats which are due, which are going to be dr- consumed uh, very closely after purchase and that that is the large format <laughs> one-off cans. Which incidentally is one of the reasons I can't see alcohol being sold in service stations no, in Australia. never, never. Um, I mean, you read this and you just go, I mean, we're about to get to the next story that is actually happening in Australia right now, but there is zero world in which this would ever happen in gas stations in Australia. Our drink driving laws are just you know, so much more prohibitive. I just can't see that it would ever come off. But the article makes the point, and Matt, you're, you're going to make the point, that the sales are in large format, one-off cans that are purchased close to big consumption. Uh, and the article made the point that it was didn't require a commitment to a four-pack or a six-pack. It just required a commitment to a, a single can purchase. But when, when you're a small brewery making two or 300,000 litres a year, like if you can get, you know, <laughs> you're not aiming for the carton sales you're aiming for maybe a, a four pack or a, or, or a you know convenience buy and that's where and i just wanted to triangulate that those two bits of data with um i, I can't remember whether it was in the brew dog annual report because we'll, we'll come to the brew dog results um but as, when i was looking at the brew dog australia results i went back and looked at the brew dog uk results um or it might have even been on the um on one of the uh, Equity for Punks forum boards, but James Watt was saying one of the significant area of growth areas of growth for Brewdog was what they call the impulse channel, and I'd never heard that term before because to me, impulse buys in alcohol were always those buckets of creamy shots on the checkout counter at um, bottle shops, but. They, their equivalent of convenience stores, I think, is the impulse buy. You know, it's not Sainsbury's or Tesco's. It's the small corner shop where you'll go in and grab, you know, because you, you need like, like a service station. And I find that fascinating that in America and then BrewDog in, in, in the UK, as growth slows anywhere else, as, you know, bigger breweries have sewn up the major channels, the growth is coming from some of those non-traditional um, beer areas um, because here in Australia, um, retail is fractured state by state, but even then the, the, big re- the, the big retailers have it. But 
we, we're not seeing alternative ones. And, you know, the, the Queensland reference that I often give is the Queensland government shot down the proposal that a four-pack could be sold at a pizza shop or a fish and chip shop or a takeaway, um, which would be our equivalent. If you're a small brewery and you can get 20 takeaway food stores in your postcode to have, you know, your beers on, and you're just selling, you know, 10 four-packs a week at, at, at them, that's a potential, you know, sales outlet that has been closed off um, by the big retailers um, lobbying against it. And so, Ian, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on it, but what is, like, where is that white space, as as Kate Berno says in the article, that is sort of new retail options that would be possible within our existing regulatory framework because it just doesn't feel certainly like Victoria during lockdown allowed four packs uh, alongside in restaurants and etc but where else is that white space now for retail? Yeah, it's more difficult here in Australia. Now, I don't know the the licensing across all states, reasonable on the knowledge in Queensland, um, but I don't certainly don't know what it's like elsewhere. We don't have that convenience store thing. The f- funny, when you we mentioned about this article to me first, uh, my first thought was just Australia's drink driving laws uh, don't allow for that, thank goodness. Um, however, you know, in inner city living, uh, and Australia's inner cities are different to the likes of, say, New York, where uh, a hell of a lot more people survive without a vehicle than they do in Melbourne or, or, or Sydney, just the way the city's laid out and history and cultural reasons are around that. The way that it works, people are more likely to make those sorts of purchases. In Queensland, we do have some small um, purchasing means, however, they are kind of restrictive in their own ways, and I can never see them getting um, a significant volume or meaningful volume through for anyone. So we have uh, what used to be called subsidiary license. I'm not sure exactly how it's termed now. So that's how a florist um, or a hairdresser um, or indeed a butcher shop um, can sell beer, but there is restrictions on it. You must have purchased um, from the core of that business and then you're restricted with the amount of volume that you are allowed to to do in um, one transaction and the, and the nature of that so, so that's like flowers and a bottle of wine or, you know, when you see a gift basket, like you do gift baskets and it can't be more than a certain volume or percentage of the value of the gift basket. So if it's flowers and wine or chocolates and wine or, you know, um, dips and chips and um things and a bottle of wine that was the 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 way that it was uh done in queensland and i'm sure other states have similar um regimes yeah which which is another which is another uh avenue but it's never going to be uh, a significant one um even if you added everything together it's still not going to be a a significant um avenue to be going down it is interesting, though, I think, um, and, and to round this out so we can move on to our next piece of news, um, uh, although this is the sort of substantive piece, I think to round this out directionally, all of these points that we're talking about um, that we've observed um, and that have sort of encapsulated this article, it really says if you were a small or even a medium, so industry at writ large, we need to come together and to the extent people will go on the record, we need to have a voice around uh, what's going to happen with 
groceries supply chains and try and prevent going down the route of the of the milk um, as an example and secondly you know directionally it says is there an opportunity in a white space if not in non-traditional retailers and we have a much more um, restrictive uh, regulatory uh, scene than in many parts of the US and the UK and even New Zealand to be fair so what is that white space and how can breweries do it? Because to your point, Matt, if you are a small brewery and you can just own your tap room, your retail sales, your over the bar, and then your 20 local um, food outlets, that you can be a sustainable business. So so um, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see what develops here because the innovation is going to have for the brewing industry is going to have to come around distribution for it to continue to be viable for small businesses. Absolutely. And, you know, like it's, we've seen state governments increasingly, you know, as beer is popular, politicians love photo opportunities in a brewery, you know, they're, they're seeing all of the hype and conversation around local breweries. They're, they're loving it. And we're seeing them create craft beer strategies but a craft beer strategy designed to attract more breweries into the industry that is already really attractive for new entrants without solving the problem of where these people are going to sell their beer um, just is setting people up to lose money. And, you know, that is one of the biggest problems that we're seeing at the moment. And state governments don't control, um, you know, competition policy. They don't. But they're also beholden to the well-funded, um, you know, hotel interests that are funded by gaming um, and state governments do get the money from gaming. So they really look at protecting uh, pubs because of the gaming associated with it when they're not looking at how breweries can find alternate responsible routes yeah. to market to survive. So speaking of um, craft beer strategies and a uh, whole bunch of stuff not being aligned, our next actual piece of news coming out of Brews News is Queensland to consult on online liquor sales review. The Queensland government is seeking stakeholder comment on a new draft regulatory framework for online liquor sales and delivery in Queensland. The department is seeking the views of key industry, community and government stakeholders on the potential benefits, costs, risks, issues and general impacts. The initial phase of consultation will be open until the 10th of May 2023. I should say that this came to us via a media release um, and both Matt and I separately tried to find uh, easily said regulatory framework that the industry is supposed to be consulting. I can update you on that, <laughs> Sabrina. Great, Matt. Um, uh, I'll, I'll update you on that because I sent a very terse uh, email in response. It was from... Uh, Good afternoon, Matt. Thank you for your email and your interest in the consultation paper for online liquor sales and delivery. At this stage, the Department of Justice and Attorney General has only released a stakeholder consultation paper to specific liquor industry and community stakeholders. We're not expected to open the consultation process to the public in the near future. So I just wrote back sort of saying, well, you sent us the media release wanting us to tell those industry stakeholders about it. It would make sense if we were able to tell them also where to get the uh, documents. But so presumably the IBA has received the opportunity to provide input uh, and will be seeking from their members. But I think, um, you know, for those that aren't members and for the big breweries, uh, this would seem to be quite a significant uh, area of interest for the brewing industry to comment on. 
Um, it's surprising that there is not public access to the proposed regulatory framework, given how many consumers will be impacted. There will be eventually, apparently. But um, So I guess the point yeah. is, again, uh, if you are in Queensland and you are affected um, and you have received information on this from the IBA, participate. If it is open to cons- public consultation and you want to provide input, provide input. Um, if you have any comments that you would like to make and send through to Bruce News on either of these um, articles, uh, that are going to directly impact breweries um, and their future, um, please get in touch with us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. So interestingly, I don't know what it's like in other states, but to the best of my knowledge, Queensland has never, ever had a real policy um, or legal framework around online sales of liquor. Yeah. Um, yeah. It has essentially been, well, if you've got a liquor licence and you can retail it, I guess you can kind of sell it online. And if you've got a licence in another state, well, I guess you can sell here too. So this really could go in a number of directions. We could just have it firmed up so everyone is... on the same page and we're all very sure of what we're allowed to do and we can all essentially do the same thing that we're doing or perhaps even be a little bit better. Or if certain stakeholders get into it, it could actually totally restrict or stop small brewers working in this space or small independent bottle shops working in this space. So it is of high importance if you deal in online sales of alcohol in Queensland, that you check this out and then you participate in it because it um, it could have a, a market effect on on the industry here, seeing as though it has been so unguided um, since the internet began. Yep, absolutely, Ian, and I think you know Matt's point around the hotel lobby are going to be weighing in on this because if they could shut down competitors, um, and if the retailers can shut down competitors, then that's to their market advantage, and they, of course, as we know from all of this, have the lobbying power. So, um, you know, absolutely, we need to participate in the democracy of these consultation processes and be heard. Yes. Moving on to the next article, which is a small one um, and a bit of a sad story. The owners of Newcastle's Sticks Brewery have advised that they are reluctantly putting their brewery up for sale as a result of a family illness. The brewery opened in 2018 in a former coal testing facility with approvals for food manufacturing with associated dwelling. It's very unique, um, said co-owner, because uh, they received an unusual and accidental approval, essentially meaning that the owners live on site. Um, so this is um, a, a, a sad story for the family. They've obviously been involved for a number of years, but it's probably, um, you know, we've seen a number of for sales of breweries over the last uh, month or so and exits um, from the industry by both uh, physical breweries and brands that are well-established. Uh, and it's probably, in this case, it was due to illness, but it it's fair to say that um, had the market been booming, uh, there may have been other options available to the owners, but it, it was probably the right time for an exit. So it, it just feels like this is not going to be the last of these kinds of stories about people leaving the industry. There's not a lot to say. Um, it's, it's a brewery that's being sold um, under you know less than perfect circumstances for the family, and you know all you know hope the. Uh, you know, family does well and the, the, the treatment goes well. But <laughs> that aside, um, when, I, when I looked at it, I was just going to 
I, I just wrote the, the the story just to give it a bit of a plug and help them out. But then when I looked into it, I can't think of another brewery that your living room is the tasting room and your kitchen is the brewery. So wasn't Matic brewing that? I was thinking about that when. Um, oh, well, when okay, I read it. so so Matic was a brewery that was built into the garage of the house, and yeah. that was never their ideal situation. They just. Yeah. Um, <laughs> had a building and they just had a very, very small tasting room that had really onerous instructions. This is a 300-litre brewery operating in a warehouse and they've built a mezzanine. It looks like a really – I didn't want to make call it a man's cave or anything like that because it's, you know, anyone can have the dream to have a brewery, but that gives you an idea of, of what it was. You've got a mezzanine bedroom overlooking the living room that is actually the brewery and the tasting room. Um, so it's like a, 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 a factory brewery, but then the other half is the, 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 it's been decorated like your living room. So it's it's cool, very unusual. And I, I think that in the lifestyle industry that is craft brewing, um, it certainly ticks the lifestyle box. It's fascinating. Go check yeah. it out. Um, if I was a retailer and I was wanting to make a faux craft beer, and stick a label on it. Is there anybody that you can think of that I might call? Uh, I think there is, and I think um, we might have to have a moment's silence to remember who that is. Oh, Ian, you're <laughs> on the train. I, 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 I think the masters of black and gold printing um, are a, a, a company called Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, if I'm not wrong. Oh, I think you're right, Matt. Um, you know that they can do help you with your design and your labelling, preferably for small breweries, medium breweries and not faux craft. Um, if you would like to get the specs right so your bottle or can can look the best at all times, call the guys at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au to see how they can help make your brand sing. Um, so in other news, just a couple of bits of um, sort of smaller news, the Western Australia Beer and Brewing Conference is back for 2023. Tickets are now on sale. Uh, discounted rates, obviously, for WABA members. Um, that's taking place in early June. So check that out, um, Brewing Industry. Um, Young Henry's this morning announced that they have achieved B Corp certification. So um they're the sixth brewery now in Australia to achieve B Corp certification. Um, they go on and highlight a whole host of the innovative things um, Young Henry's have been doing on the sustainability front but also the people front uh, to to achieve that. So, you know, not to diminish uh, the achievement, the reason it's not sort of big splashing news is because it's not the first brewery, it's the sixth brewery in the country, but it's actually a great um, to see so many breweries uh, you know, getting certified and what that means is actually being verified in terms of the things that they're doing. So um, great achievement for young Henrys and certainly nothing to be sneezed at in terms of the level of effort involved in achieving that. Um, something that was uh, dropped into the Radio Brews News Facebook group was Australia's system of taxing alcohol is inco incoherent, but our research suggests a single tax rate isn't the answer. Um, Matt, you wanted to talk about this uh, a little bit. I sort of felt it, it's research coming out of um, the University of Melbourne and RMIT. That seems to reference a lot of other fair stuff and things like that, but it, like it, it, was, it was just really interesting to read because 
everything tracked down, you know, for, it, it seemed to be much more about the age that people drink at necessarily than what they were drinking. But then they tried to conflate that full strength beer is more dangerous than mid strength beer and, you know, wine. And you, it, 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 it seemed to be research designed to prove a point as opposed to anything else because to say that a 6% beer it does the same harm unless you're separating out a 6% $28 four pack of craft beer versus a, you know, $18 four pack at 6% of VBVX um, because the people drinking it and their approach to drinking and the outcomes from that drinking for something that is just a 6% beer by that me- measure just seems completely ridiculous. Um, that That's a classic classic case of correlation and causation uh, without proper analysis. Yeah, it, it's I, – I read it. I think there was um, Phil from Hiker uh, put that up. It, it was quite interesting to read. I, I liked looking at it. But their, their data in using that was uh, – and their analysis of that was, was heavily flawed. Um, however, the um, – Entire headline of that is 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 very true. We do have an incoherent uh, tax system, and a single tax rate is not the answer. I've been trying to think about this for for decades about how it could be better and fairer, and I'm yet to think of one that that really works. It's fairer across the entire industry and doesn't end up with a situation where we can get um, strong liquor for cheaper than a six pack of of um, mid strength beer uh, because that would um, that would bring about terrible consequences as well. Um, so I'm hoping that some people that are smarter than me are putting their, their minds to it. I mean, the need for tax reform uh, around alcoholic beverages has been ongoing and, and seems like it will never go away as an issue that needs reform. Um, but I know even in New Zealand, successive governments have said we're going to review taxation and then they pick it up and realise how complex it is and how much is involved and how much everybody existing stakeholders will get pissed off and so they put it back down again. So can't see this getting a full review anytime soon. But, um, Ian, my conclusion on this article was exactly the same sentence that you use, a complete conflation of causation and correlation. Um, So, you know, a bit of a nothing burger, but interesting to get the conversation going around what does need review and what could a better system look like. Next sort of topic um, is... What I've called in the show notes are Bud Light and transphobes. Um, but for those who are listening that have not seen the brouhaha in the US around um, Bud Light essentially used one trans person in one Instagram post um, in, in one of their advertising campaigns, so a single Instagram post using a single person who happens to be trans, Uh, And it really got picked up as part of a culture war um, taking place in the US um, and sort of Bud Light and killing Bud Light, uh, shooting up Bud Light, uh, products associated with Bud Light um, sort of, you know, took over the internet there for a while. Um, And it really, you know, for us looking at it from a beer industry perspective, um, Ian, you sort of had a couple of thoughts on what it could mean if you happen to be uh, associated with Bud Light. Yeah, well, uh, I'd like to think that Australia has um, 
a slightly different culture to the US. I'm not sure it, 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 we could say it wouldn't. There wouldn't be anything happen here, but I'd like to think it would be slightly different. However, also different to the from Australia to the US is um, our tap contract system, and it's something I brought up in um, relation to tap contracts from the point of view of a venue operator a long time ago. That if a company does something in its marketing that um, is is um, detrimental. I'm trying to to be careful of how or, or wanting to be considerate of how I phrase this here, but is detrimental to sales of that product in your venue, and you are stuck with that product on tap. Um, that could be a difficult situation to be in. So if if this had happened here in Australia and transphobes had got up um, in arms about Iron Northern uh, beer um, being um, uh, uh, promoted once by one person of a different gender to them um, and didn't didn't want to buy it anymore in such the way that Bud Light, it seems, has happened. You know, we've seen up to in some venues, you know, um, 80 to 90% drop in sales and you're stuck with that product on tap. That makes things difficult. So um, there can be a little bit of a lesson in in it in regards to tap contracts and tying yourself to someone else's brand too much where you're not going to have control over how they market it, but you have to sell it. Um, so that was that was just something I had in there. It's been interesting to to watch from the outside and and very disappointing to watch from the outside too. Yeah, I mean, it really speaks to um, uh, really sort of lends support to the Bolter Beer is for Everyone ad campaign. Absolutely. That's the complete opposite of, of um, what has been the reaction to this campaign. It is also... Um, an interesting thing. Um, so a, a friend of mine posted to me uh, an article about, you know, the, we had Kid Rock saying, you know, go woke, go broke. Um, and it, it seems that in general it's been the opposite. It's like go woke, go for broke. Um, however, it, it might seem that there was a bit of a misread by um, AB on what their um, what their market was, who was buying their beer and their reaction to it, which is, is a terrible reaction. Um, but that is their product, and that is who is buying their product. Um, one of my hobbies is following um, US politics really closely. Don't ask why. I got went down a rabbit hole and now I'm pretty involved. Um, and so I watched this sort of explode across all of the different factions of um, of of US culture wars, and it was, it was really fascinating to see how a single Instagram post by a brand could then be reused, taken out of context, uh, explained for something that it isn't and explode. So, you know, there is a lesson there in terms of businesses always being ready. The only thing I'm going to say about this one, um, uh, 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 apart from I hate that we even have to sort of discuss it at all, um, but businesses like AB InBev don't do anything with anything like this without significant thought. Um, you know, I've been trying to get an interview with uh, CUB about the new Carlton draft campaign and they want me to submit the questions in advance because I might be trying to trick them or, you know, <laughs> they want to have pre-prepared answers for the questions, which just is ridiculous. But anyway, AB InBev would not have done this for one of their flagship brands without having thought very clearly about what the outcomes would be for the, for the brand and any potential downside. Clearly, they did this deliberately, and that says so much about where society is. Where you know, the noisy part of society might be the ones who are shouting "Go woke, go broke," but clearly, 
the data that they're showing says that there is a bigger market to be inclusive than to be hateful. And um, one of the most interesting, one of the funniest things I saw about this was uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who sounds like our equivalent of Pauline Hanson, posted to her social media account a photo of a carton of Coors Light in the boot of a car when she'd been shopping and sort of said, I would have bought the King of Beers, but it's changed its gender to the Queen of Beers. So it's chill from here on uh, out. And people delighted in pointing out that Coors Light has been at the forefront of gender equality um, and has been posting stories for ages. 1978 became the first brewer to institute a non-discrimination policy based on sexual orientation. So I, I wonder whether AB InBev didn't do this campaign to try and ca- catch up to its competitors and boycotting AB InBev, it's actually encouraging people to support a brand that has been even more supportive of trans rights. So, you know, like it's, yeah, but the, the, the big thing is society is clearly progressing. As it should. This time, Matt, you mentioned um, I sort of, I was doing a bit of a segue there around, you know, we saw recently the big ad launched by um, Bolter that did the beer is for everyone. It was quite um, cinematic in the way they went about it. It was very video first. Um, You know, they had a bit of a rollout of that campaign and Carlton United have just released a new advertising campaign called the keg is dead. Um, we'll post it to the Radio Brews News Group, but essentially it's sort of a play around um, the King's coronation um, that's coming up in the next week. I don't know. I'm not paying enough attention to that one. Um, but it was, as Matt sort of pointed out in our offline conversation, a very cinematic um experience as a lot of the commentators in the marketing space are saying, you know, Carlton United used to do these big TV ads. They used to be known for their big uh, rollouts and had there hasn't been one for a long time and it's now here for a Carlton draft. It exists. Um, we'll post it in the Radio Brews News Group and you guys can let us know what you think and how successful it will be at bringing new drinkers to beer. Yeah, look, yeah, look I, I find that sort of stuff fascinating quite apart from the ad itself. It's the fact that they're doing an ad um, of this scale again Um you know, because we haven't seen it for a while. So uh, hope, hopefully I'll get some answers on that one for next week. They're doing it of this scale, but it's just like what's it trying to say about who Carl, Carl, what Carlton Draft is, who's it stand for, what does it mean? I do not, other than the fact that it exists and you can get it in the bar and people like it, you can get it in a bar that looks like your grandfather used to drink in and you can get it, but all of the people pictured are in their late 30s, 40s. So, oh, look, I just, there was a whole lot about it. I don't They're get it. They're all great questions, Sabrina, and I will be asking all of great. them when I finally get that. But that's that's what I find fascinating about looking at, you know, going back to the Anheuser-Busch thing. The people that are reflected in an ad are the people that they know drink the beer, you know, and it's it's kind but of like the idealised. Yeah, it's, 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 well... With a brand like Carlton Draft, that's what it's going to be. And I remember, God, go back and listen to the podcast we did with uh, Michael Bannerberg um, a couple of years ago when he talked about, you know, when CUB had Carlton Draft, Foster's, VB, um, you know, and, and some of their other brands. 
they did demographic research and showed that, well, VB is just preferred by, they never actually marketed it. They just found that people gravitated towards it. And that was the birth of the um, classic VB, you've, you've, you'll get it working um, jingle because for, for workers and Carlton Draft. And, um, and that's where I find it fascinating because ads reflect the drinker as much as it, it's seeking to develop a new market. Um, and so I think this is ad is just trying to, you've got a lot of choices at the pub. Remember the one that made you laugh, which was what the Carlton Draft big ad was all about. You know, the, oh, what was the big ad about? Oh, is that what it was saying? I don't know. It was not trying That's, to sell beer to me. I will That's be for asking sure. that question. Don't you worry. It did, it did not hit the notes. Uh, okay, beer is a conversation. You had a great conversation with Nick Boots um, this past week. Really interesting one talking about um, what Nick's doing now, but it really veered into a whole lot of lanes around, you know, where's the industry going and, and what can be done there. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, any other comments on that, Matt? No, just, uh, again, thanks to Nick for actually engaging. You know, as, as I said, um, quite often consultants and people, you know, because they're always selling, they never actually want to answer questions that might risk upsetting anybody. And Nick was willing to engage in, because Nick's somebody who really cares about the industry. And uh, it was great to see him actually engaging um, in it and acknowledging how hard this industry is. Um, and, you know, hopefully people like him can help uh, breweries negotiate that. And Brewery of the Week this week is brought to you listeners from Bluestone Yeast who can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03851831172 and talk all things yeast. And Matt, you happened to be in Hobart over the weekend. I was in Hobart over Easter and look, there's part of me that wants to say Tasmania is my brewery of the week because I didn't get to too many breweries while I was there, um, but I did get to Hobart Brewing Company, which I really enjoyed. But there was something about being in Tasmania that Tasmania really supports its own. And the hotel I was in, you know, even though it was Bogues um, uh, Bogues and Cascade, were on at every pub they also every bar every restaurant also supported every distillery you know every you know, craft brewery and it was really nice you knew you were actually traveling um even though it was in australia because it was a taste of the local um so i got to drink a lot of the beers that i was seeing around but they were all tasmanian beers but the brewery i got to uh, just around the corner from where i was staying was hobart uh, brewing company and it was very cold wet evening but they had the heaters on really nice staff you know it's it's really really rustic almost wool shed um right you know uh, sort of layout but it was just really really nice spot it's you know so so much uh to to enjoy about just sitting there and having a beer i want to go sounds beautiful oh, well, I'm, I'm hopefully going there in june so i'll be sure to pop in and and check it out Get us some breweries of the week there, Ian. You can come back with your new recommendations. Um, But with that, that wraps up the week of 
News. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, Ian Watson and Matt Kierkegaard. The show is produced and edited by Joe Helder. We want to thank Rallings, Labels, Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone News for their support in making this episode possible. If you have any comments, questions or input that you would like to have on anything we've discussed today, please email them into producer at brewsnews.com.au or leave us a message on SpeakPipe, which you can find on our website. Um, and that's us for the week. Chat next week.